The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. How is everyone on this beautiful uh, albeit it's rainy a little bit in some places, uh, maybe even stormy. Uh, this uh, Saturday, May 16th uh, on KLUP, my friends, thank you for being with us today. Got a good show for you. Got a good show. Uh, we've been following a lot of um, of the uh, impact of the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, real or fake, uh, whichever way you want to look at it, but it's having a tremendous impact on law enforcement, and on immigration, my friends. Um, got some great guests for you. First of all, we've got Mr. Th- uh, Sheriff Thomas Hodgson from uh, Bristol County, Massachusetts. Uh, Sheriff Hodgson's going to be talking to us about a revolt. Yep, that's the word. A revolt by some uh, aliens in detention at the ICE Detention Center there in Bristol uh, that occurred uh, about uh, 10 days ago. And uh, this uh, revolt was all spurred because uh, there were supposedly fears by those aliens of uh, contracting the COVID-19 infection. Uh, And so uh, some of them um, wanted to get out. I mean, we've been following that uh, storyline for a while, uh, how uh, liberal groups are trying to... uh, get these uh, illegal aliens out of detention centers. They don't want them to be deported. They just want them out and uh, into the United States uh, society, uh, which is rather disingenuous. So anyway, these uh, characters in the uh, detention center, they decided that they were going to uh, riot. And that's exactly the word. So uh, the media has either ignored it or spun it. So I decided I would call uh, Sheriff uh, Hodgson and have him give us the story uh, personally. So, uh, he's going to be our first guest. Our second guest is going to be my friend, my very good friend, uh, sheriff, former sheriff, Richard Mack, uh, who's president of the constitutional sheriffs and peace officers association. Um, sheriff Mack is going to be talking to us about, uh, constitutional law enforcement, uh, during the, uh, COVID-19. We've seen a lot of stories and, uh, a lot of commentaries about how, uh, police officers and uh, deputies are arresting people or are shepherding people out of parks, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he's going to be talking to us about the constitutional aspects of it. Uh, there are some uh, some sheriffs, obviously, like here in San Antonio, Bear County Sheriff Javier Salazar, uh, who are definitely Democrats and pull that uh, Democrat party line. And uh, this guy has uh, happily released uh uh, prisoners, as well as uh, he's out there trying to enforce uh, unconstitutional laws. So Sheriff Mack's going to be talking to us about that. The other person, uh, our other guest is uh, another good friend who's been on before is uh, Jay Wiley. Uh, Jay has a uh, program called um, Law Enforcement Today. And uh, Jay is, a, I mean, an absolute expert, besides the fact that he was a uh, uh, police officer at one point. Uh, Jay is an expert in uh, in all things law enforcement, uh, and uh, I wanted him to talk to us because there has been we. You heard me last week uh, go off about this issue with uh, uh, Toledo, Ohio, and the safety, the vests of uh, police officers. He's going to be talking to us about uh, this uh, situation with the police officers' uh, safety being compromised by liberal politicians. So anyway, my friends, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Please call your friends and tell them to join us. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy once again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, Talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. And we have a special uh, guest with us today, uh, Mr. Uh, or sure, I say Sheriff Thomas Hodgson from uh, Bristol County, uh, Massachusetts. And the reason I reached out to uh, Sheriff Hodgson was Hodgson was because um, there was an incident a, a, couple, uh, a few days ago 
uh, in the detention center uh, in in Bristol, uh, where some uh, detainees, some illegal alien detainees, uh, in the ICE detention center there, uh, had uh, well, there was a confrontation, and uh, of course the ACLU and uh, the uh, pro uh, immigrant groups are claiming that. Uh, it was provoked and that these people were just trying to uh, uh, get out because uh, they're worried about the uh, COVID uh, uh, pandemic and, uh, you know, on and on and on. Uh, we've been following, of course, across the country about how other uh, deten- detention centers, uh, including the one here just south of San Antonio, uh, there's a constant um, protests out uh, demanding that uh, these uh, illegal aliens be uh, released, but nobody ever says release them back into their home country. So I wanted to get uh, uh, the uh, the sheriff to please tell us what happened in this incident, so we can get uh, so we can get an accurate account and get it directly from him. Uh, sheriff, thank you very much for taking time and being on our show. Tell us um, uh, first of all, tell us about your detention center, and then tell us about this incident. Sure, George. Um, I built the immigration detention uh, facility in um, Bristol County, Massachusetts, uh, and opened it in 2007. We've never had an issue with that uh, facility, which houses uh, strictly detainees for ICE, until uh, just uh, about a week ago when um, we uh, I was on my way home. I got a call from our medical people that um, uh, the there was a problem. I asked what it was. They said, well, 10 of the detainees there uh, in the B-Wing had said uh, earlier in the afternoon that they all didn't feel well. The medical staff, as we would automatically do, come up and they interviewed each one of them, asked them what, their, what, what they were feeling and so forth. And each one of them identified at least two symptoms that are consistent with COVID-19. Obviously, upon hearing that, uh, according to CDC requirements, we immediately need to isolate and, and uh, test these individuals. Uh, the building is separate from our main building, or just up the drive a bit. So uh, the medical staff had told them that the officers needed to escort them down uh, to be isolated and, and tested. Uh, at that point, um, they told the medical staff they weren't going to go. Now, these are the same people that you spoke of that have been trying to get out. We have a federal lawsuit going on by ACLU. These other groups that are all involved in this and have been even before COVID-19 trying to get illegal uh, immigrants out of detention. And so um, they've been at this for several weeks. And, of course, the detainees are looking for any way to try to bolster their case. So uh, we have tapes, folk tapes of activist groups on the phone with these individuals to, uh, um, to take putting money into their accounts to try to get them to put more information out there that are actually not not true, not facts. They're actually uh, saying to the people, hey, we don't have any soap, and the attorneys go to the judge and say, we don't have any soap. Uh, we don't, the place is dirty, which is not. We've been nationally accredited twice in six years at 100% uh, score, which is almost unheard of. So we know we have the highest standards in the industry. But at any rate, so I went, I, I, they told me they wouldn't go down. I said, all right, I'll turn around, come back. I went in, I, I um, spoke to the groups. The guys gathered around here. It's a dorm-type setting. And uh, so they all sat in these chairs, and I said, look, I understand 10 of you have, uh, have indicated that you don't feel well. You've given at least two, each of you have given at least two uh, symptoms that seem to be consistent with COVID-19. And under the CDC and DPH standards, uh, you must be taken down to our main facility and uh, isolated and tested. And uh, there were 15 other people in this unit. You can't contaminate them by just staying in here uh, without us doing the proper uh, protocols. So uh, I said, the best thing you can do, just step forward when they call your name and uh, the officers will escort you down. Uh, the detainees, uh, when they first, ten, when the 10 names were called, the first one said, I'm not going. Uh, the rest of them would not step forward. Uh, so I asked them to read the names again. And when they started reading the names again, one of the individuals had gotten up. I didn't see him get up, but he went down to the other end of the unit where the telephones are. And, um, so at any rate, I'm talking, uh, listening to them call the rest of the numbers. Nobody's coming forward. Uh, the guy who went left and went down uh, to the phones is the ringleader who is, has consistently been stirring up that unit. So uh, when his name was called, one of the detainees said, he called his name out and said, Marco, 
and I knew at that point he wasn't there. He was somewhere else, so I went to look. He was down on the telephone, so I went down to him, and I said, Marco, you need to hang up the phone. Your name's been called. Uh, he gave me this look of defiance, kept talking, and I asked him again, Marco, you need to hang the phone up. You need to go. Your name's been called. He refused uh, to acknowledge it. So when he, he didn't, uh, when he didn't obey the second order, I w went to grab the receiver from him. And when I g went to grab it, he pulled it over to his left shoulder and put it up as close to his mouth as he could. He, he pulled it away from me. I was just able to still hold on. And he's yelling, "Don't you!" He's screaming, "Don't you touch me! Get your hands off me!" As though he were in some struggle or something, which he wasn't. And it was for offering him the purpose of the per per person on the other end of the phone, which we later learned he was his uh, attorney. So at any rate, when he did that and he yelled like that, he incited all of the other detainees. They came running down as they did. One of them took a chair and hit me with the chair, threw a chair at me and hit me. Um, there was an officer standing next to me. Uh, the officer, uh, when I turned to look to see who it was, the officer grabbed my shirt to, you know, uh, help evacuate me out of the unit along with the other employees who were in there. Uh, there was a lieutenant and a captain that were, I guess, off to my right. I didn't see it, but I was told later they were uh, started throwing cha hurling chairs at the female lieutenant. Uh, everyone, we all backed out of the unit quickly. Uh, when we did, uh, we then were in the control area. We could see exactly what was going on. In fact, it was being filmed. These detainees took tables, big tables, threw them up against the door to blockade the door. They pushed, pulled the dryers, two dryers out of the uh, laundry room, pushed them all across the living area, up against the door, turned the water on for the hot water, let it run onto the floor from the coffee machine. They uh, <clears throat> they took a pole off the off the bathroom wall, went into the bathroom, smashed the sinks. They went into the prayer room and literally destroyed the walls in there with this pole. Um, they wrote some expletives on the wall, of course, for ice. And then uh, they, they destroyed the officer's workstation. They destroyed the television. They destroyed a new microwave that was just put in about a week and a half ago. They um, they destroyed the uh, basically the whole unit. They just trashed uh, the unit, threw all the mattresses all over the floor um, and uh, coffee up on the camera, the surveillance camera up in the corner. And... Um, and so at that point, I called in my, my special operations team and our canine. Uh, by the time they came in, they got mustered. These guys had blockaded the secondary door, which we were going to go into off their recreation yard. And it ultimately was the door that we ended up breaching. But when they when the officers went in, they breached the door. Uh, they threw in a, as they got the door open, they threw in what they call a flashbang. And it's, uh, it's a device you throw up, and when it hits the ground, it... It uh, disperses, uh, it makes a, a loud bang, and then it disperses uh, tear gas into the facility. Uh, the move team went in within literally 90 seconds, with the exception of one individual who fought, tried to fight one of the one of the officers. The rest of them ran to the other end of the unit, and our team moved in methodically, and within about 90 seconds had every single one of those people in flex cuffs, temporary handcuffs, and within five minutes, every one of them was evacuated methodically out of the building uh, and, and um, lined up along the, on their knees along the wall, outside wall. In fact, the instigator is a, is a known con man that was on the phone. Uh, he actually was kneeling there, and the officers, of course, are standing behind them waiting to get him transported down. He, he started banging his head on the wall, turns around to the officers and says, stop pushing my head on the wall. And this is what this guy is all about. He's a convict, and we've seen it before. At any rate, so uh, the the move went was was methodical. It was perfect. There was no. Uh, if you listen to this guy's attorney, uh, two days later, he's in the in, on a, in the press saying the sheriff approached my client, threw him on the floor, and sprayed him with pepper spray. First of all, I don't even carry pepper spray. I don't have pepper spray. Secondly, there was no struggle, and he wasn't on the ground. There was never any kind of a... Well, I got struck with a chair within, you know, seconds. Uh, so I'm looking over there uh, and, and uh, was not in a struggle with this individual at all, and that's, uh, that's how it went down. So, um, you know, uh, then these individuals, of course, were all moved down to our main building, and uh, they've all been in isolation. 
Now, let me let me let me uh, make this observation and ask you this question, because we have been seeing across the country for a long time uh, the protests in support of these uh, uh, undocumented immigrants and these illegal aliens, as I call them. Uh, they, uh, you know, whether it's at the border being arrested or whether it's uh, by police officers or uh, the media not wanting you to use, uh, you know, the city of New York not wanting you to use this term of illegal alien, uh, they are being empowered, in my opinion. They are being uh, set up to uh, as as professional victims in everything. Uh, does Do you think that this has had anything to do with this uh uh, their behavior, their arrogance, their uh, the way that they, uh, you know, are defiant at this point? Oh, there's no question about it, George. That's exactly what's going on. And I was warning about this a long time ago. And when these judges do these things, for example, they've been, this case has been ongoing, and the judge is reviewing nine cases, nine cases, whatever. And what happens is, imagine if you're one of the guys who doesn't, get released by the judge and you have to go back to that unit right so now you're going to try to figure out okay what can i do now to raise the stakes to see if i can get before the judge again to show that i don't really belong in here and i believe that those 10 that came forward that that last friday uh did that and with the hopes that because it was a hearing coming up the following week that they could their attorneys could go in and go see your honor there is a problem with COVID 19 they're testing 10 of them in that one unit and that's 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 how they play this game it's been going on for a long time and um and so you're absolutely right about that and uh we haven't had any problems in there till the judge start till this federal case was filed and suddenly we hear them on the phones we have taped phone calls these uh, activist groups are sending money into their canteen accounts. They're calling out, telling them all these things that aren't true. And then the, the judges, in fact, in the, this federal case, about a week and a half ago, the U.S. Attorney's Office said, Your Honor, can we, can we send somebody down there independently to look and see if what they're, they're saying is true? The judge said, I'll take it under advisement. Never did anything with it. Never acted on it. You would think that would be the first thing the judge would want to do. But these activist groups have been doing this, as you said, George, for a long, long time. It's all part of a national movement, and they're demonizing those of us who are trying to protect the people of our communities by, by you know, enforcing the rules, but also making sure we're meeting the highest standards and corrections in, uh, in dealing with these individuals. And uh, we can't leave them in a unit with, uh, if, they've, if they've claimed that they have that without isolating and testing. What about the other 15? What about my staff? You know, uh, we owe it to them to make sure they don't, they don't, you know, contract COVID-19 if, in fact, one of these individuals was, in fact, um, positive. And, frankly, when they all went down, and all, all of them had to go down at that point, all 25 of them, um, they're all in isolation. All but eight of them were tested and came up negative. But there are eight that refused to, to, uh, to test. So... This is this is an ongoing uh, movement that we've seen happen. We had protests here oh, over well over a year ago, uh, where they were, two people we locked up two protesters that tried to block our driveway, so our vehicles couldn't get in and out. Saying release all the release all the ICE detainees, and then two others that tied chained themselves to a gate, our secondary entrance. They got locked up. But this is what's going on, and uh, and and so you know the people. The people, I think the listeners probably get it, your listeners, and they understand that this is creating a dangerous situation for all of our staff, for the other inmates and detainees in here. And frankly, there is something you brought up a minute ago, George, that I think is very important to point out. All these people who say they don't, these people don't belong in there, it's a civil offense and all of that. I would like your listeners and, and, and people out there to just think about this for a moment. Imagine that 9-11 hadn't happened yet. Half of those detainees, half of those those uh, those uh, terrorists, were were say they were in one of our ICE detention facilities. These same people would be saying they don't belong in there. You know, they they're, they're just these are just these are just immigration violations. They don't belong in there. Now, nine eleven hadn't happened yet. So, if you listen to these people, they be these people be out in the street and they'd be able to continue the plot and plan. And ultimately, as they did killed 3,000 innocent people in that attack on the World Trade Center. Yeah, well, as it is, as it is, we don't know how many are committing robberies. Are, are, you know, we don't know how many of them are, uh, have, uh, 
you know, are, are beating up on uh, on uh, innocent people. These uh, these folks, they have committed a crime by being illegally in the United States. That's the number one crime. And that's that seems to be the number one crime that that's overlooked by these folks. Well, sure. And, 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 and not only that, George, but, but you got to remember, too, I mean, we, we sent out when the judge started doing this and we've had the state judges, the Supreme Judicial Courts doing the same thing on the county inmates. Um, we, I decided, look, the public has a right to know what's going on here. They, they, they say, well, we're releasing this person. They're only in on a uh, nonviolent minor offense like dealing heroin, right? They just did it happened in Florida. They released a guy on COVID-19, right? They didn't tell you what the rest of the guy's history was for armed robbery and all that. He went out and murdered somebody a day later. And we have in our custody right now, we, so, I, so I, what I've done is I've, I've sent out, a, 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 we sent out a um, prisoner uh, release alert that we send out, and we send it out, we update it about every other day, and it goes out to all the media, so that the public does know that these are the people that have been ordered released. We have guys, one guy who's released, he committed a robbery, kidnapping, and rape in the UK. We have another guy in our custody that's trying to get out. He's a, he's a, he's a convicted bomber. He bombed a police station in Ireland. We have, we have people who have uh, cases of rape, uh, assault and battery on a family member, uh, multiple OUIs, and on and on and on. And these are people that have knowingly entered the country illegally and have, and have victimized innocent people, law-abiding Americans. And I, when I took this oath of office, as did members of Congress, as did all of ICE and everybody else, we swore to uphold the laws. And the people that are most responsible for this and should be investigated are the members of Congress. They made the law. They not only ignored the law, they turned their backs on angel moms and dads. They turned their backs on the families who lost loved ones, their kids to drug overdoses for the drugs pouring in over the border. They, and then on top of it, they then support. Not only do they encourage these people to come in violation of the law, but then they support programs like sanctuary cities so that these people can be, you know, uh, protected so that law enforcement, will, as best they can, will identify them as being here illegally. And, the, and then in the final straw, they demonize me and every sheriff across this nation, ICE, and all of the law enforcement people who are, are do, the one group that's upholding their oath and enforcing the laws that Congress put on those books. And so the people in our communities that we promise to keep safe can be safe. And then Congress demonizes us for it. And it's outrageous. And then these... These uh, these activist groups and so forth are pushing, you know, to try to get judges to let them out and suggest that, that the law-abiding people are really the problem, not 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 the people who chose to violate laws come into our country and then victimize innocent Americans. You know, this is this is outrageous, and I really, Sheriff, I take my hat off to you. Uh, I really, really uh, thank the effort that you and and other sheriffs, not to mention the the. The uh, the folks that uh, work in these detention centers that increasingly uh, are becoming uh, dangerous, not only because of the uh, of the uh, uh, pandemic, uh, but uh, just the physical harm that these people uh, are threatening at this point. Well, yeah, and, and the more that these activist groups do it, as you said early on, and, and very well, it, it empowers them. And then they feel like, you know what, we're really not that bad. These people think we should get out. we got to get on that, that wagon to do whatever we got to do to help promote that. And what they do when they do that is they raise the risks for my staff to be seriously injured or killed and for the people that they're trying to protect under under our responsibilities of care and custody, the, the other detainees and inmates that are in here. I mean, we've come a long way. Uh, I was uh, I was born in, in Laredo, Texas, and my I remember my grandparents used to – Call them mojados, uh, the the uh, illegal aliens that would come across, and uh, in those days, and even when I worked in the Reagan administration in, in, in immigration, they used to run away from us. Now they're attacking people. I, I I'm just you know I'm just flabbergasted how how far we've come at this point. Well, yeah, and I think most Americans have finally seen uh, you know what's really going on, and they're starting to understand that. Wait a minute. This is a this is a threat to us, our families. If we stand down on this and we don't really, you know, stand up for the rule of law in this country and stop these activist groups from trying to trample all over uh, the rights of the innocent Americans, then w- what will be said of us by our children and our grandchildren in future generations 
that look back in history and say, well, well, my mom or my dad or my grandfather or my grandmother had a chance to make, you know, reclaim the values and the principles of the laws that our founders put in place so that we could live in America and also provide people from other countries the opportunity to come here the right way. They just stood down and did nothing and made our lives more difficult now because um, it's even more difficult to get back there as yeah. a result of them just choosing to look the other way. Yeah, they, they, what they've done, want that. yeah, what they've done is successfully excuse and uh and and justify illegal immigration and now they're doing the same thing with these with these people that uh misbehave in the detention centers sheriff thank you very much for taking time to be with us i appreciate it tremendously oh you listeners be safe out there and god bless oh uh, we uh and uh, god bless you guys uh you know uh, tell everyone to please uh, our prayers and and uh, are with them and we hope that uh, everybody stays safe thanks thanks so much george have a great day This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio in San Antonio. And we've got uh, my very good friend, uh, Sheriff Mack. Uh, Richard Mack, uh, or should I say former uh, sheriff, but I guess once a sheriff, always a sheriff, right, Richard? <laughs> well, that's kind of how I see it, but boy, uh, most of the people who know me across the country uh, are going to call me that no matter what, so I just I, I enjoy it and just take it as it comes. Well, you seem to be you seem to be uh, Mr. Sheriff for, uh, for, for the nation. I, I wanted to get you on because uh, the, besides the fact uh, that you know so much about law enforcement, this whole issue right now that we're looking at where uh, the constitutionality of, uh, I mean, particularly the First Amendment rights uh, are just under, they seem to be under attack in the name of public health. Uh, how, you know, what what do you see uh, as happening here with constitutional law enforcement? I'll use that phrase uh, versus this uh, effort to uh, keep everybody safe. Uh, by some politicians, local and state politicians. What do you think? Well, that really concerns me. In fact, it scares me to death uh, that any politician can appoint themselves to be a little Hitler dictator uh, because uh, there's a health crisis going on. Uh, Liberty is something that uh, is supposed to be guaranteed in this country all the time. It's eternal. Uh, It is something that every politician promised to do When they take their office, they swear an oath in God's name to uphold and defend the Constitution. They don't say, unless there's a health crisis or unless there's a a natural disaster or a hurricane or tornado or if grandma stubs her toe growing across the crosswalk. No, no time, at no time, are we allowed to suspend the God-given rights of the American people and then say, we'll give them back to you. When the crisis is over, when I uh, now, you know, this, this is my calling card. When I sued the Clinton administration, when I was sheriff in southeast Arizona, Justice Scalia wrote the decision for the majority. And this victory, the only time in American history when a couple of sheriffs beat the, the federal government at the United States Supreme Court in a landmark case. And Justice Scalia wrote for the majority and he said the Constitution protects us from our own best intentions. End quote. That is a powerful phrase. It, it's the most powerful phrase to come out of a Supreme Court decision in since Miranda v. Arizona. Uh, it really is. The Constitution protects us from our own best intentions. Does anybody get that or understand it? And not only that, it's a Supreme Court decision. Aren't we supposed to be enforcing that? The sheriffs of, of uh, Texas, the sheriff in San Antonio, is he not supposed to be upholding and defending the Constitution and Supreme Court decisions that have to do with law enforcement? Well, this is the only one that ever happened from sheriffs in American history. And so this is this is my question to all the health officials that are so concerned about the coronavirus. And George, I know you are concerned about the coronavirus. So am I. I don't want to get it. I keep a pocket hand sanitizer everywhere I go. I've got one right here in my hand. I also 
in some places wear a mask. There's some problems with masks, though, because after you keep them on too long, you're breathing in too much human emissions instead of taking in enough oxygen. And nobody's kind of going over that either. But the, the truth of the matter is, this disease is real, it's there, but the, the only thing that public officials can do is ask us. They can persuade us. They can reason with us. And they can ask for our complete cooperation. But they cannot force that. And they cannot raid us like they did Shelley, my new hero, uh, the Rosa Parks of today, Luther. When she opened up her salon, she had every right to do that. That is her property. That is her business. And what are we sworn to do? Protect her rights to her pursuit of happiness and her liberty and her right to peaceably assemble and to conduct her affairs and live her life. And the, st the state should have been protecting her. So if it's okay, then, for any government official in Texas or in Michigan or in Arizona, where I live, if it's okay for them to suspend liberty and to suspend our rights, our civil rights, why was that not okay against Martin Luther King and his protesters? They said it was for public safety and we'd all be better off. But no, we stood and we fought against that. And I applaud Rosa Parks and I applaud Martin Luther King for that. Now I applaud and honor uh, Shelley Luther for doing the same thing uh, just outside Dallas. I want to go get a haircut from her just like Ted Cruz did. <laughs> but, but if that's okay, George, if it's okay for government to do that, then why don't we do that? with over a million Americans that die every year uh, from heart disease. That's right. Or how about all the millions that die from smoking cigarettes? Have we ever banned cigarettes? That's right. Do we make it illegal? Do we take you to jail because you smoke? Do we ban alcohol because of all the alcohol-related deaths that happen in our country? Well, and, and let, me, let, me, let, me, let me share this with you and get your reaction. Last week here in San Antonio, the San Antonio City Council and the mayor declared they 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 passed a resolution it's not an ordinance but a resolution that uh we cannot use the term china virus okay oh, or chinese chinese virus however what is really annoying <laughs> is that the the mayor encourages people get this encourages people to call law enforcement on people that are using that phrase well i mean uh, what is law enforcement? What is what can law enforcement do about somebody that uses the phrase Chinese virus? Well, uh, please tell all of them. Uh, I have not been using it, but every time I come to Texas, I will be using it every other phrase. <laughs> and this this just shows how stupid liberals and Democrats are, and that we pay no attention to the principles of liberty that America is supposed to be founded upon. And, and that just, I find that so frightening that anybody could be so idiotic as to say, you can't say that. Well, you know, there it, are things that my mom would spank my mouth for saying. Yes. <laughs> One of them is stupid. We weren't allowed to say stupid if she swat our mouth. And I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry, mom, God rest her soul, but I'm going to call the San Antonio mayor and city council stupid. <laughs> it, it, well, what's even more ironic than that is that they, uh, in January, they passed a... Uh, say moronic the, or ironic? Ironic. ironic well, both. <laughs> was that, uh, was that uh, they uh, passed a, uh, a, 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 the budget, the city budget, which included uh, assisting illegal aliens with uh, taxpayer money in, uh, you know, in violation of, uh, of immigration laws. So on one hand, they're doing that. On the other hand... They are. Uh, they want to punish uh, free speech. Uh, I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, helping people who have come here illegally uh, is called aiding and abetting, <laughs> and it's actually a crime. Yeah. And and you know what? Uh, I understand and appreciate the people who want to come here, uh, but why don't we address why they want to come here so badly, and the oppression that they have in their country? and the cartel-driven government that they have in Mexico and throughout Latin America. Why don't we address that and try to make their lives better for them down there to where they don't want to risk stealing uh, thousands and thousands of dollars and then risk their lives dealing with cartels uh, to 
come across the border. Uh, you know, we've got to fix that problem, and it isn't going to be fixed with us just saying, yeah, come here all you want, uh, because we have plenty of money, and we're just going to give you taxpayer dollars. I find that to be so counterproductive to really get into the is- bottom I- of the issue here. Yeah. We, we need to we need to, to close out here. Uh, what's the bottom line that you think needs to happen with this uh, with with asking uh, law enforcement to uh, to curtail our law, our, our uh, First Amendment rights? What do you think needs to happen? Well, they all need to listen to the cop who's who just put out a video in uniform in his patrol car that we all need to get back to the principles for which our jobs were created. The police in this country are supposed to be the protectors of liberty. The sheriffs are the defenders of the people and defenders of our Constitution. We need to get back to that. And your city council needs to come to our constitutional training that we put on at the CSPOA. If, if we're really going to cherish America, then let's cherish liberty and put it first. Uh, no one has the authority to suspend our Constitution uh, or, or our individual liberties and say at the same time, it's for your own good. Gotcha. Folks, we've been talking with uh, my good friend Richard Mack, uh, former uh, sheriff uh, and also, uh, I guess, president uh, of the uh, Constitutional Sheriffs and Police Officers Association. Is that is that it? Is that accurate? Uh, Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers. And Peace Officers. Yes. And Peace Officers. Richard, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. Have a good one, buddy. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, uh, our good friend, uh, Mr. John uh, Wiley from, uh, well, he's uh, with law enforcement today. Uh, he used to be in Baltimore. Now he is in beautiful Florida. I, uh, John, I, I think it's it, it's hysterical that the folks in Northeast are having, uh, this late in May, are having a, a cold front and even snow. <laughs> How are things in Florida? I don't miss that one bit. As a matter of fact, I, I think I'm done with winter for the rest of my days. <laughs> well, I wanted to get uh, John on because we've got an, a, a, a very disturbing, I think it's a very disturbing situation in Toledo, Ohio, as well as uh, we're going to talk about other situations impacting on our uh, law enforcement folks. Uh, in Toledo, Ohio, John, it, it it is amazing to me, but apparently the mayor and the police commissioner in Toledo, Ohio, have determined that uh, the vests, that uh, the protective vests that the police officers wear uh, are not going to be worn. They're banned because, and here it is, because apparently it scares some people because it looks too militaristic. So, uh, in essence, to me, they are sacrificing the safety of police officers in the name of uh, fashion. Uh, what do you think? I mean, th- have you heard of this before? I, I, sadly, uh, George, I've heard it from so many places, so many departments. And number one, the most common injury for and career-ending injuries for law enforcement officers are lower back injuries. And one of the chief ways they can eliminate that or reduce that is by going to the outer vest, the the weight-bearing type vest that would decrease radically the amount of lower back injuries and would save our communities a lot of money. The number two thing about this that really bothers me is this whole, it's almost like a a, a virus, like the coronavirus spreads rapidly about militaristic looking or militaristic in appearance, the outer vest having a military look. So therefore, 
because people might become afraid. Number one, I, I had a guest on my show just recently, uh, a police sergeant named Matthew Schoolfield from Chickasay, Oklahoma Police Department. He was a SWAT officer. He was a SWAT sergeant on the call for a barricade situation that a guy wanted for violent sexual offenses. And he got shot four times, actually, I'm sorry, five times with an AR-10 rifle. And one of the rounds hit his Kevlar helmet, which is a military helmet, and saved his life. The other two went through his arms and, and totally damaged his arms, and two hit his outer weight-bearing heavy-duty vest, which saved his life. Now, that's a great story that he, he made it through, but he's so severely injured that um, their department fired him because he can no longer do the job physically of a police officer with more than 10 years on the job. Just fired him. And of course, that's being litigated and adjudicated by the courts and everything else. But this is the kind of mindset, the mindless mindset of, of bureaucrats and politicians who don't go out and do the job, who don't put themselves in harm's way, ask other people to do it, and they don't give them the tools they need to be safe. It's, it's sickening. Well, you know, it, it's always, it always is easy to be a, a, a Monday morning quarterback and say the police should have done this and the police should have done that. And uh, rarely, if ever, are these politicians in them, them themselves in a situation where they've got to make a life and death decision, uh, and they need the equipment to uh, help them make that uh, that decision. But that doesn't seem to be a that that doesn't seem this community policing uh, seems to be seems to have gained uh, a very very leftist liberal. Uh, point of view now, hasn't it? I, I don't know if that's the case, George. I just think it's stupid. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> stupid. This is what we used to do <laughs> years ago. You had a beat cop who worked a, a, a post, at least we did in Baltimore, and you had the same three cops on different shifts working that post. When they were off, you had the same rotating guys, I think guys, men and women, filling in. So people in the community got to know you by your last name. They may give you nicknames. They got to know you. What happened was they started trying to do more with less, and they eliminated the whole post mentality or beat mentality and started going to zones and, and making these officers not even known in the communities where they worked. So this is something that comes from the head down from administrators, bureaucrats, and I'm counting police administrators, police chiefs, sheriffs. They're the ones making this happen at the behest of their mayors and, and county councils. They're the ones who are at fault for this. Amazing. Now, let's uh, let's shift a little bit and, and talk about uh, the other um, most recent uh, danger to uh, police officers, and that's, you know, the infection of the COVID. We saw uh, several officers in New York and in uh, Chicago fall by the wayside, getting very, very sick. In some cases, I think there were even deaths regarding this situation. How are police officers handling this across the country, or how are they are they being given any any equipment? I mean, what what's uh, what's the situation here? Well, first of all, I, according to the National Fraternal Order of Police, and, and this is as of I believe yesterday, ninety two police. I say police. That means your sheriff's department, law enforcement officers, state troopers, whatever name they use. But ninety two law enforcement officers across the United States have died from COVID nineteen infection. And this, they're just going out doing their job. Some of them have been given the proper equipment. Some have not. And even with the proper equipment, i got to be honest with you, George, we had mace that I was issued when I was in the academy, and they never changed it. They never replaced it in, in 12 years on the job before I got hurt and retired. So the, the, the thinking that they would take good equipment, we have reports in Baltimore of them being given expired equipment, an expired hand sanitizer. Oh, now we're up to 93 officers as of May 7th, died in line of duty. And the people, again, going back to our prior conversation, the city councilmen, the county council, the state legislatures, the, the Congress rivers, they make sure they're safe, but they have no qualms about putting officers out in the street without the equipment and don't care two bits about their safety. Same with our military. They just don't care. I, it's, it is really, really, uh, you know, I struggle with that, particularly when I hear that, uh, you know, the, the, the Congress has not gone back to work because they're afraid of, uh, of the infection. <laughs> I mean, I find that to be ironic and, and cynical. Look, I'm glad they at least came up, the, a few of them said, we're afraid. 
because you and I don't have that luxury. I didn't have that luxury when I was a police before I retired. We had to go to work. And you and I both working in radio, I've taken zero days off. I don't get the option of saying, I'm staying home because I'm afraid. And yeah, while I'm considered essential in radio, just like you are, we're not as essential as the Congress of the United States. <laughs> it's a, it, it really is. It, it's shocking. And they they seem to be the ones that are screaming. Now, we've got this recent situation with uh, with uh, the vice president, former vice president Biden jumping on the bandwagon and and, uh, and making assumptions about uh, a uh, shooting in uh, in uh, in Georgia. And initially, uh, my understanding was that he he was saying that it was police and then they had to correct him and said, no, these guys were not on duty. One was not on duty or was retired. It wasn't the police officers that shot uh that shot the 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 gentleman uh you know it, it, these these politicians jumping to conclusions uh making assumptions and then uh, causing more division is is outrageous to me it's it, it's it's horrendous and i just wish it would take five minutes to to get the facts um you know people ask me to comment about the the arbory murder in, in georgia and i can't because i wasn't there and i don't have the information uh there are reports now that the original officers wanted to arrest the people thought they had probable cause. I agree they do. I believe they do. Um, and should have been arrested right away. But the district attorney stopped them from doing it for whatever reason. I don't know. I wasn't there. So therefore, I'm not going to jump to conclusions. That's the thing, again, going back to you and I working in radio, where we have to toe the line between being responsible and accurate and trying to get people to listen. When your politician is speaking from the floor of the House or Senate, they're not held to the same liability and, and laws that we are, especially about defamation of character. They can say whatever they want about anybody. And they and it's obvious they, they have. I- incredible. Uh, t- tell the folks where they can find you and how they can listen to you, buddy. Well, we're on 35 stations now across the United States, and if you can't get our show on a radio station near you, you can listen to past episodes of the podcast. You can go to letradioshow.com. You can do a Google search for a Law Enforcement Today podcast. Or best thing is just hit me up on Facebook. Look for a Law Enforcement Today radio show, and be glad to have you. Wonderful. Thank you very much for taking time to be with us, John. We've been talking with Mr. John J. Wiley from uh, Law Enforcement Today. Thanks. You stay safe, buddy, and uh, enjoy Florida. <laughs> Thank you. You too. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, thank you for being with us uh, today on today's show. I hope that you will tell folks about it. Uh, we want to uh, spread the word. We certainly uh, want to encourage uh, getting more listeners. We're trying to recruit more folks, of course, to uh, listen to our program. Uh, let me uh, close by uh, giving you a, a couple of uh, tidbits of news. Uh, in Massachusetts this past week, uh, a liberal uh, activist lawyer, Shelley, uh, Judge Shelley Joseph, um, she is accused uh, of allowing a criminal illegal alien to escape ICE custody out of her courtroom. Uh, this happened uh, a few months ago where she was um, uh, the, the uh, criminal alien was being arraigned in her in her uh, courtroom. And uh, she actually uh, assisted. It is alleged, should I say, that uh, she assisted this character to um, slip out the back door. Well, now she's playing the victim card, of course, and her defense attorney is saying that she's been targeted by the uh, Trump administration. The only thing I want to say, my friends, is, you know, when you've got judges, activist judges actively breaking the law, helping a convicted illegal alien because he was there, he was convicted, a criminal illegal alien to escape, my friends, then there is no justice. There is no law and order. We are in a bad state. So she's playing the victim card at this point. Uh, here in Texas, something very disturbing, very, very disturbing. We've got to understand how, how the influence and the presence of the cartels is so wide and deep. Uh, these cartels, my friends, are, are terrorist organizations, and they want to destroy America one way or another. <clears throat> the situation is that a paralegal who was working uh, for the federal prosecutors here in Texas, here in San Antonio, in fact, she was busted for tipping off the Mexican drug cartel bosses uh, about investigations. Yep. Her name is Jennifer Los Loya. Jennifer Loya. Now, that, that's a that's a good Irish name, isn't it? And Jennifer Loya, who worked in the attorney in the uh, U.S. attorney's office uh, for the Western District of Texas here in San Antonio. Uh, she was hit with multiple federal charges last week 
uh, for drug possession and divulging sensitive information. Uh, I, you know, it, the FBI believes that this paralegal helped the drug cartels uh, to uh, uh, tip them off about what was going on and uh, the investigations and whatnot. I, it's amazing, my friends. These drug cartels are everywhere. They are just as sinister, sinister as the mafia once was, could, could possibly be. Finally, let me talk to you real quick about uh, some fake news, both at the national level, local level. First of all, uh, the question that, that uh, you know, that's central in, in, these, in this, all of this fake news is when is it going to be safe enough uh, for Democrats to allow us to go back to normal? I mean, when is it ever going to be safe enough? You know, all you keep hearing is how dangerous it is, how dangerous it is, how dangerous it is. Well, this situation, my friends, uh, has hit a climax when when, uh, uh, the news coverage constantly, the news coverage is constantly all about how dangerous it is if we open up, how dangerous it is if we go back to work. In Laredo, let me tell you, here in Laredo uh, this past week, uh, there was, uh, you know, you've heard, you've had all of the national attention in Dallas regarding Shelley, Shelley Luther, who, uh, uh, was the beautician, the, uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, was arrested and held, uh, because she opened up her business. Well, the same thing happened in Laredo. Same thing happened in Laredo only earlier. This happened in, uh, back in, uh, this, this happened back in, in, uh, late April and, uh, you know, not too much attention was given because it's a Laredo, you know, and Laredo is this, this uh, institution unto itself. So, uh, you know, again, my friends, when is it going to be safe for all of us to go back to work, for all of us to go back to normal? If you, a- if you ask a Democrat, it's never going to be safe enough because they want to control our lives. They want to control everything. So uh, with that, my friends, I hope that you will stay free. I hope that you will stay strong. Once again, George Rodriguez talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Thank you for being with us. El Conservador. Till next time.